Well, good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. What a beautiful day, huh? Thank you, Jesus. It is lovely. Hi, Connie. I haven't seen you for forever. It's good to see you. Amen. Hey, let's lift up the name of Jesus here this morning. We want him to get all the glory, and we just are so thankful that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Let's do this. Two, three, four. The earth 
is filled with his glory holy is the lord god almighty the earth is filled with his glory the earth is filled with his glory hey would you guys look around find someone you've never met and introduce yourself No. 
Representing the world mission team. Hear a little feedback. Do I need to move somewhere? Sorry. Okay. You can use mine if you want. Maybe use here. Turn that. Let's switch to my mic. All right. All right. Thanks, Trey. So just a couple of announcements to make to start off with. Um, if you are a visitor here today, um, welcome. I have a daughter that's been moving around um, with her husband in the Air Force from state to state and church to church. So I know how hard it is to make that first step into a new church. So we welcome you here today. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. There's a little white card in the seat in front of you. If you want to fill that out, um, there's a welcome table in the back and a little gift there just for us to be able to say hello to you. We also wanted to remind you there's lots of things happening, so please take a peek at your bulletin. And then also, this is a reminder, really for someone like me. Next Sunday is the end of daylight savings time. And so don't forget to um, fall back, otherwise you're gonna end up at church an hour early. And I always have to ask my husband, is this the one I like or I don't like? So remind me, Lee. I like this one. <laughs> 
Yeah. So along with that, uh, I have the privilege today of um, getting to share a little bit of my heart as it relates to what God is doing all over the world. And maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but as a body, you all, through your prayers and your generosity, we support ministries in two different Middle Eastern countries, Africa, India, Central America, Pine Ridge, as well as a local ministry that welcomes international students from all over the world. You all do that. In addition, we also support uh, a wonderful family that's been doing ministry in France. So today, we get to welcome Bob and Veronique Clifford. They have been faithful servants to the kingdom of God for 40 years. Can you imagine missionaries for 40 years? And Rimrock Church has had the privilege of supporting them in that work for 31 years. I think that's worth clapping. So I want to say thank you to all of you for that support. And secondly, thank you for the, to the Cliffords. Uh, Rick Warren has a quote and says, faithful servants never retire. I don't know if that's good news or bad news for you, Bob. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. I am blessed to have such godly examples of holy service. So welcome, Bob and Veronique. Just a reminder, they also will be serving or uh, sharing um, at the Empty Nesters class at 10.30 if you want to hear a little bit more about what they're doing. And we also just have a gift um, from Room Rock to you. Thank you. Can I set this up here? Okay. Uh, greetings, everyone. I was sitting next to a Frenchman, uh, Lee, uh, his ancestors. He was telling me um, one of his uh, ancestors went back and served in Napoleon's army. So we're, we're somehow working together over there. Um, first, I want to say just two things with Veronique um, this morning. Why missions in France? And then bring you an update as to what God has done because we're relinquishing the work, which means that basically you folks here have enabled the church over there to exist. Now there's one church for 30,000 people. So here in Rapid, you clear everybody off the board and you get two churches of about 100 each. And one Bible-believing Christian for 1,000. So you find 1,000 people, you might find one who's got a relationship based on the gospel of Jesus Christ over there. I want to explain to you why they got there. So the Reformation was basically rejected. The Reformation was a return of the gospel of the apostles saying, faith in Jesus Christ through his grace alone saves us. Actually, the French were not lazy. They took it to heart. And God was working in the 1500s at the same time as he was in Germany. But the first three on that wall were French, and they were kicked out. They were kicked out for their lives. The second one, John Calvin, as they went to Geneva, blessed that city and kingdom of, of God. 
So that Switzerland has now become a strong uh, defensor of the gospel. The king from the south was Protestant and he was married off in a political arrangement to the king, queen's wife, uh, the queen's daughter, excuse me, of the Medici family in, in the north, but he had to get married outside of Notre Dame Cathedral. He wasn't allowed inside, he was praised. He was Protestant. And so he abdicated his faith. Six days later, all, it all broke loose, and the, his entourage of 200 nobles was martyred, uh, the St. Bartholomew's Massacre in 1572. The militia let loose, and anything that was Protestant, women, children, they hunted down and massacred, and that went throughout all of France. That was pretty much the end until that king who had abdicated his faith became king of all of France and set up for only 100 years a time where you could be as a Protestant uh, legally to have your faith. So here's a temple outside of Paris. It had to be 10 miles out. You couldn't be in Paris. And it would hold 4,000 people built by a French architect. If you visited France, this is the Hôtel de Ville or the town hall. And on the top, you've got huge statues of many Protestants, among others, who influenced the country. They were a gifted lot. They built the Louvre, the architecture work, were ministers of the army and of the finances. Until the king's grandson that had given them that permission to exist decided that he wanted to be absolute monarch. And you can't rule, he decided, over a people who has their own thought process, who can go to the scriptures as God is king. And so Louis XIV, who built Versailles, desecrated, destroyed the temples, uh, took all the kids, re-educated them, and then sent his troops to be housed and lodged in Protestant families until they destroyed the families. It, when he made that decision so that Protestants had been combated, there were 250,000 still left in the country. And in 1685, when the Plymouth colony opened up, we sent you 10,000 people who were fleeing France as well as England to seek religious freedom here in America or in Amsterdam, or rather in uh, Holland, even as it says at the Memorial Park in the center of the town here in Rapid. So if you wanted to be Protestant, you had to flee to the desert. And so before the king's troops caught you and just and put you in prison, now if you were a preacher, you were sent to the galleys to row for life if you were a woman, they sent you to prison for life. And if you were a pastor, they just hung you on the spot. But there were still 50,000 left until the French Revolution where the French just said, enough tyranny. And they just, they hung, <laughs> uh, they behead, uh, guillotined um, Louis XIV's son and gave the right to basically anybody to exist. Go ahead. So in 1905, finally the Protestants have the right to exist. Four centuries later, we now have the right to exist. And basically the state says neutrality. 
But some impose that and say neutrality means no faith. And so it's a very secular country as we try to share the Protestants' faith, the gospel, the Reformation was just bloodily repressed. The cut, deal cut in 1905 was that the Catholic Church would now give all their buildings to the government to keep up, to maintain. And so this is the town on our church built in the Middle Ages. They had the steeple starting to lean so they got an $8 million deal to re-put them, to rebuild it. Government paid by taxes. Until 2010, where the National Association of Evangelicals finally stepped in. There are now 10 times as many Protestants as 1950. I think the GIs, when they came back, saw what was happening after World War II, and people started to come over and bring the gospel. So the gospels multiplied over 10 times since 1950, and they've started one church every 10 days. So thanks be to God um, that there is now uh, one, ch one church for 30,000 people, but only half of them can ever hope to have a pastoral candidate. So when we finished and tried to find someone to take over for us, it was waiting on God, and as we finish, we're waiting on God. A short video. Hello, we're Bob and Veronique Clifford, serving at the Church Start at Plaisir, France. We began the year with a good cleaning so children and families could come after the lockdown. Then we joined all the families of the church for a spiritual retreat to see how we might love our neighbors in the town. After a special night of praising God and thanking Him, the church set out special projects of loving our neighbors through a prison ministry, refugees, or even helping rebuild devastated countries. Those seeking to work with prison ministries met with a chaplain in order to be debriefed. We seek to leave a healthy church obedient to Jesus Christ. For this, we seek to be obedient to the Word of God, keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center. We are thankful for the music ministry, which presents God's word through song, in which Veronique participates. Having outgrown our facility, we brought a nearby church for the Christmas program, welcoming guests and presenting the good news of Jesus our Savior. Jonathan Rumi met with French media on the Champs-Élysées and presented the French translation of The Chosen, which was aired free over Christmas. Four of our youth were committed to follow Jesus Christ through baptism. Veronique and I are seeking to encourage young adults. Veronique is transferring the ministry of the Protestant Family Association. They have lovingly served Afghanistan refugee families and presented conferences on ecological awareness in the town, organized a family festival at the local park in order to love, rejoice, and welcome families from the town. <laughs> 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 
The high school and middle school ministries have been a blessing. Musicians organized a special concert to celebrate and tell the gospel to new families through music and through testimonies. While continuing to look for a larger hall or one to purchase, the church has gone to an internet ministry and to two worship services. Please pray with us for the future elder and pastoral leadership team. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and expand his kingdom to the people of France through the Pleasure Church. Thank you, everyone. That is what you have enabled them to have. Many blessings to you. Paul said to the Thessalonians, it was a struggle. They were combated. They have been combated. They will be combated. Paul says, now, what for what joy, what thanks can we give for the joy you give to us as we stand before God's throne if you stand? And our prayer is that they will learn to stand in a very combated, spiritually combated area. But please receive their thanks. We gave a card uh, to pastor uh, that they wrote to say thanks. They exist because you've enabled them to exist. And now the challenge is that they give Jesus to the tens of thousands around them. Be blessed as we stand before the throne. Pray for them that they will stand. Amen.
Young man working through 
Father, that's our prayer this morning. God, we love the people of Rapid City and the Black Hills area, just as the Cliffords love the people of France. God, you love all people, and your desire is that none would perish, but that everyone would come to eternal life. That's your heart, God. And as Ben comes up, God, we're so glad you brought him back safe and sound from India. We just look forward to hearing what it is you want to say to each one of us, God. So open up the eyes of our hearts and speak. We're listening. Amen. Okay, am I on now? Can you hear me? All right. Well, it's been, uh, it's been a few Sundays since I've been able to worship with you, and so I, I've missed that time, although I did get to join in last Sunday in India, so I was joining you in worship. Uh, it was nighttime <laughs> while we were worshiping in the day. But uh, what a joy, and to think about how great our God is, that His presence is what we are sensing here is just as alive in France uh, it's alive in India. We, we experienced that. Uh, we were in India for eight days. Um, so during that time, we took six flights. So we, we covered thousands of kilometers. Uh, we, we drove to the Nepal border, the Bhutan border. Uh, we went to four different cities, six different villages. I preached ten sermons. Uh, we went to two Bible schools, three orphanages, and seven churches. 
So we, we covered a lot of ground. So thank you for praying for us. Um, I know Chris, Mike, and I felt those prayers. We experienced those prayers. But the highlight, I think, for me, for sure, but I think this is also true for Chris and, uh, and uh, Mike, is uh, the first two days we spent with the 30 missionaries that we had sent uh, as a church for over the five, past five years. We have supported 30 uh, couples who've gone into villages that did not have one single church, one single witness of Jesus. And, um, and over the course of those two days, we heard their stories, and we saw their faith, and we saw their dependence on the Lord. But uh, the first night as we walked into the meeting place, uh, they were singing uh, a beautiful song, and we couldn't understand the language, but when they got to the chorus, the chorus was hallelujah, <laughs> and they sang hallelujah over and over, and, and we could understand that, <laughs> and we could sing with them, and there's something so beautiful about that picture and revelation of every nation, tribe, and tongue singing before the throne, and we, we got a taste of that as we sang with these, these 30 men, and uh, their love for God, their devotion for God blessed us so, so much. So one of the things that I prayed about before going is, what, what should I share with the, the pastors in India? And, uh, and God brought Isaiah 40 with, to me to share with them. And I want to share that with you because it's the first Old Testament passage uh, quoted in the Gospel of Mark. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. And what we begin to realize is, is Jesus didn't just appear out of anywhere. He was the promised Messiah. That God was going to send a Savior into this broken, dark world. And his name is Jesus. But Isaiah spoke of him. And Isaiah 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sins are forgiven. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain brought low. And the rough places made level. And the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And every eye will see it. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice said, cry out. And I said, what should I cry all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the mouth of the Lord blows on them. Surely, all people are like grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Amen? You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice. Lift it up with a shout. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord. He comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him. His recompense is with him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and he holds them close to his arms. He gently leads those who have young. Who has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? Who, with the breath of his hand, has marked out the heavens? 
and s- who has held the dust of the earth in baskets or weighed the mountains in the scales or the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Who has instructed the Lord as who, his counselor? Who has ever shown the Lord the right way? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who was it that taught him the way of knowledge or showed him the paths of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as like dust on the scales. All the islands like fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for the altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, before the Lord, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will we compare God? To what image will we liken him? To an idol? A, a, gold, a, a metal worker casts an idol. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains. And a person too poor for such an offering selects wood that will not rot. And a worker is selected to set the idol on a stand so it will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that he, the Lord, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth? And all people are like grasshoppers before him. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He, rule, he reduces rulers to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root, and the Lord blows on them, and they wither, and they're blown away like chaff in the whirlwind. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes up to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one. And because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So why do you complain? Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my, my way is hidden from the Lord? My, my cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord, he is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth? That he does not grow tired or weary in his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, do you hope in the Lord today? But those who hope in the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not grow faint. Praise God. So why do I share this with you this morning? We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. That was the chapter that God told me to share with the pastors in India. And as we go to Mark 14, we will see that this truth of who God is, in light of who we are, is what we most need in Jesus Christ. That Isaiah 40 is only fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you go with me to Mark chapter 14, I'm going to ask uh, you to stand. 
and we're going to read this uh, all together this morning, the first 11 verses. Now the Passover and festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teacher of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So we've been seeing in Mark that the political powers, the religious powers, all the human powers are aligning against Jesus. They're coming to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So they're afraid of what the people think. And while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Hold on to that, path, that verse. He, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You may be seated. So what's going on here in Mark chapter 14? The story of Jesus has been building to this moment. And in fact, uh, I think this is a, a climax moment. These, these are the final moments, the final hours before Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. And Mark wants to get our attention. In fact, the whole gospel has been really presenting this question. How will you respond to Jesus? <laughs> what will you do with Jesus Christ? Uh, Jesus has claimed to be God. He's shown his power as creator over the wind and the waves, over the disease, over demons, over every force at work, Jesus has shown his power and authority over. And yet we see throughout the gospel different responses to Jesus, either responses of rejecting him or being drawn to him. And we've seen this, this question, how will you respond to Jesus? In fact, I think that's the central question of the gospel that Mark wants to present to us is, what will you do with Jesus? Will you worship him like this woman, or will you reject him like Judas? And that's what we see here, is we see the defining um, conflict about who Jesus is and how will we respond as people. And, uh, and we've seen this throughout the gospel. Uh, throughout the gospel, we've seen people with hard hearts. Even the disciples have had hard hearts, where they've, they've been unsure if they are willing to follow and believe Jesus. And we've seen people who are absolutely clear, absolutely sure that they believe in Jesus, that they want to follow him. And now it comes to a head in this story. Um, we're introduced to Judas uh, at the moment that he is going to betray Jesus in this chapter. Uh, all, we don't have a lot of information about Judas, but what we know is that he must have been a trusted disciple because he was entrusted with the money. 
And so they gave him the money. And we, we tend to only trust people <laughs> with our money who we, who we really believe in, who we trust. And so the, the disciples and Jesus had given him that responsibility. We know from the Gospel of John that he was stealing money, that he was taking some of that money for his own use. Uh, the disciples weren't aware of this until afterwards. And so we can ask the question, what was it that caused Judas to harden his heart towards Jesus? And I don't think we should just stop with greed or love of money. I think that's part of it. But I think there's something deeper here that I think is really important to us, that this act of this woman, I think, brings to light. But I think what we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark is is that the disciples had a different picture, a different vision, or a different desire for what the kingdom of God would look like. I think if we're honest, all of us have desires and we have uh, thoughts about what God's kingdom should look like. And I think the, the, the core issue with Judas is that he desired a different kind of Messiah. You see, Isaiah 40 all the way through Isaiah 53 and beyond, speaks of the Messiah, but in terms that are, are beyond what, what we would normally think. What we would think as human beings would be power and might and salvation. And what Isaiah 40 introduces to us is that in the wilderness, in the desert, in hardship, in suffering, that is how the Messiah is revealed. Now, there's... There's some irony here in how Mark presents this because they are eating at the house of Simon the leper. That's an interesting title to give to a man. Leper. Remember, leprosy is a curse. It's death. And in a sense, he's saying this is the house of death that Jesus is eating at. That should grab your attention, right? And then Jesus says that this uh, perfume is preparing for his burial. I wonder if Judas had heard Jesus say three times previously as he told all his disciples, I'm here as the Messiah, but I'm here to die. I'm here to suffer. I'm here to be rejected. And I'm sure Judas, just like all the disciples, are struggling with that. But it's at this moment that Judas decides, I cannot follow that kind of Messiah. I cannot worship a Messiah who will die, who will suffer. And so we see a breaking point in Judas's heart. And we see his heart hardened. And he goes to betray Jesus. So the core issue, I think, with Judas is at the end of the day, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe who Jesus is. He doesn't truly believe. He'd rather hold on to his ideal, his picture, his desire of what a Savior should look like. Then we have the woman. And I hope you see that Mark is bringing a contrast. There's a huge contrast here between Judas and this woman. And it's interesting, Mark doesn't give us her name. We know her name because from other Gospels, we know her name was Mary. And she's the sister of Lazarus. But in this Gospel, Mark specifically doesn't tell us her name. And I think he does that for a purpose. But, but look at this woman. Because I think this is what God wants to reveal to us today. We just sang, revive us, Lord. <laughs> revive us. My brothers and sisters, this passage is an invitation to revival, to an awakening of who Jesus is. 
And this woman understands. No one else sees, but she sees that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Lord that Isaiah 40 spoke of, that he is the creator of the universe. He is the one who brings out the starry host and holds the waters and the nations in his hands. She understood. And that compelled her to act. This was a public act of vulnerability and devotion. She wasn't hiding. This was not a secret belief, a secret faith. What we believe in our hearts will always come out in our actions. <laughs> it will always come out. Judas didn't believe. He believed in a different kind of Messiah, and so it came out in his actions. What we believe will always come out. We will always worship something. And then what we see in this woman is worship of Jesus. We see in her a generosity. It says she did all that she could. She didn't hold anything back. Now, I don't like awkward situations. <laughs> and I'm sure many of you don't like awkward. I tend to try to avoid awkward situations. But there's something in this woman that said it didn't matter what people thought. She only saw Jesus. She saw his worth, his beauty, his glory, his purpose. And she wanted to give all that she had to honor him, to bless him. Oil was a picture of blessing. In a sense, this is an anointing. Jesus calls it a, prepar a, pr a preparation for burial. She believed that Jesus was a savior. Now, I don't think Mark tells us her name because I think Mark's inviting us to all be like this woman. He's inviting us to give our lives to Jesus. Remember that central question, what will we do with Jesus? Will we receive him as Lord, as Messiah, as Savior, as, as God who came into this world to save, to rescue, to deliver, to give us life, forgiveness? Will we receive him? Will we believe him? Will we trust him? Will we look to him? Will we be like Judas that hardens his heart and chooses the trust in money and the political powers and the religious powers of the day? That's, that's the question for all of us. So after we had spent two days with the pastors in India, hearing their stories, some of these men have been beaten for their faith in Jesus. Many of these men have been rejected by their families. Uh, they told us that their communities looked at them with suspicion. Um, this was not an easy path for these 30 men to go into these villages and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> There was suffering involved. They were willing to lay down their lives. And, and I think the mark that we saw in them was not, um, oh, this is so hard, so difficult, but joy, <laughs> passion, desire. But at the end of our time, um, after I'd, we had sh preached uh, the last time, they, uh, they sang a song and they gathered uh, an offering. They began to pull money out of their pockets and bring it forward and uh, they told us this is an offering for you we want to give money to Rimrock Church <laughs> and, uh, and as you can imagine uh, I struggled we struggled with that in fact I, I can identify with the people at this party saying wait you could use that money better <laughs> like we don't need that money you need that money you, you could use that you, you need more than we need but as I read this passage, I begin to understand something very profound. 
that what God is after is our hearts. And these pastors were revealing that their heart for Jesus wasn't limited to just offering their bodies, their time, their effort, that even their very money was the Lord's, that they were willing to give it to Him as an offering to Him. It was His glory. They weren't just giving it to us. They were saying, God, we are yours, fully yours. Everything we have, everything we can do, everything we can do is for you. That's true worship. I want to read this quote from Augustine. He says, Late I have loved you. He's talking about Jesus. Late I have loved you. Beauty so old and so new. Late I have loved you. And you see, you were within and I was in an external world that sought you there. So he's talking about the desires of our flesh. In fact, in this book, Confessions, he talks about pursuing sex and food and pleasure, pursuing money, material possessions. He, he sought all that stuff. And he says, in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely created things which you made. So he recognizes God is the, the creator. He is he's the one who made all these things. You were with me, but I was not with you. The lovely things that kept me far from you, though if they did not have their existence in you, they had no existence at all. This is Isaiah 40. This is, uh, Augustine understands who God is, who Jesus is. And he says, you called and cried out loud. You shattered my devils. God comes into our world. Jesus came into our world. And he opened our eyes. He opened our deaf ears. He helped us to see who he was. And all his beauty and his glory that he is the Savior. He says, you were radiant and resplendent. And you put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant. And I drew my breath. And now I pant after you. I tasted you, and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. Augustine wrote that 300, or 300 years after Jesus came, and Jesus is doing that in France. He's doing that in India, and I believe he's doing that here, that we would see who Jesus is, like this woman. And we would see that everything else created, money, material possessions, our own safety, everything that we value pales in comparison to his value, his glory, and that we would hold nothing back from him. I want to close as the musicians come up from Psalm, Psalm 27. And this is David. I think David understood this maybe better than almost anyone else. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear the war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this is the only thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Can we pray that this morning? That, that Lord, we desire you above all other things, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. One of the beautiful things in this passage 
is Jesus says to the woman, you have done a beautiful thing. Those words are quoted from Genesis chapter 1, when God created the light and the trees and the water and the animals, and he created you and me. What did he say? It is very good. The, the Hebrew word is actually, it is very beautiful. God has created goodness and beauty, and he's made us for a purpose. And I believe what David understands and this woman understands and my prayer is that I would understand and that we would understand together that we were created beautiful to be worshipers of this glorious God. Because it goes on to say, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling and he will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and he will set me on a high rock. Praise his name.
good. God is good. Father, thank you again for all these beautiful people. Thank you for Ben and the whole staff here and every person who makes this place their spiritual home, God. We love you and we surrender and have your way in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night.